Welcome to the Hotel Analyst podcast, your regular dose of 20 minutes or so of matters at the moment in and around the hotel investment space. Uh, we've had a look at what we consider important and we'll be giving you our thoughts on those issues momentarily. My name is Chris Bowne. I'm the editor at Hotel Analyst and I'm joined uh, by Andrew Sankster, the editorial director of Hotel Analyst. And we start by considering all the S's. That's uh, Soho House, Sonda and Selena. Oh, we're also involved with subscriptions, uh, with SPACs, and uh, more importantly, uh, considering their solvency uh, to a greater <laughs> or lesser degree. So um, all, uh, all three recently came up with some uh, some results. Um, we'll compare and contrast them uh, in more detail in uh, the Hotel Analyst Perspective piece that we've put together. But um, Soho House, well, they are sort of making profits. Um, they are turning their business around and improving their profit margins. Um, and certainly at operational level are now profitable, uh, continuing to invest in growing the business, um, but uh, have built and are building ever more a very profitable uh, and successful subscription uh, element to their business. It's now contributing, uh, getting on for a third of the revenues. And uh, you know, you've got, uh, you've got people buying a membership to Soho House, uh, which entitles them to uh, turn up and enjoy the uh, many houses the group has alongside uh, the F&B and the accommodation business. It's a great uh, additional revenue stream to have. Um, the next S, Sonda, well, they are uh, they, they tell us they're a tech business, but actually we think they're just <laughs> an apart hotel, a, a service department business, um, but still losing money uh, despite occupancies uh, 80%, still in a situation where it's losing money um is it a bit like we work has it sort of over rented properties and then found out you can't actually get your money back by renting them bit by bit um uh, but um, hopefully maybe by the end of the next year they might each actually be making making profits if their shareholders haven't got fed up with waiting uh and then selena is uh, perhaps furthest back along this particular track and has recently um turned up late to pay some uh, some dues on on a, on some debt, um, so they're going to be working that out in the next couple of weeks. And um, well, let's see if there's going to be a solution that allows them to carry on, or if something a little bit more fundamental might have to happen. Interesting. When you were going through the S's there, I thought you were going to choose staying alive, which is the, <laughs> the other one. But so solvency will do, I guess. But uh, yeah, uh, slightly harsh on Sonda there, I feel. But okay. um, well, we'll. Well, that's, you know, I, I think it's. Uh, I don't think they're very much like we work. I, <laughs> I would suggest, but right. um, I think they're a slightly better position than that. But uh, yeah, r- rather than dive into these these three, and I think you're correct in saying that uh, probably you know Soho House is the most robust um, of the three. Um, I think we've said that in the past. So rather than go into that, I thought it'd be worth reflecting um, just about this whole subscription. A subscriptions piece um so we've mentioned subscriptions in uh, previous podcasts and indeed in previous uh ha perspectives um in that that goes out that go out to our subscribers um and you know we've said that they're a very compelling business mo- model the challenge has always been devising an approach that works for hotels so 
in one respect hotels i guess uh, are an early variant of the subscription model um, subscriptions are about paying for access rather than ownership and in this way hotel rooms are way ahead of the curve because obviously you're just paying for access to that room for 24 hours and uh, or you know 48 hours or 72 hours depending um, um and obviously they've been sold on that basis ever since really the you know the idea was thought of uh, paid for lodging um but um the, but the fuller subscription piece where you're sort of signing up um and sort of you know i'm going to be having a hotel room for three nights a month kind of thing um that's much more problematic and indeed um we've as we've reported on in the past uh citizen emma found that and they've quietly sort of dropped their um their package um which they were offering um so they had a couple of things they had a global passport where you could uh, book 30 days at a time for just 50 dollars us dollars a night um and then the other thing they were offering was a 500 pound deal offering three nights a stay uh, three nights stay per month um, with access to meeting rooms and other perks and that was targeting a business uh, travelers in particular but uh, uh, what citizen m have done is switched into a payee sort of loyalty scheme um, and this perhaps i think is the more of the way forward now um, in a, in my written piece i looked at something by the subscribed institute which is a think tank banked by the subscription payment specialist i pronunciation could be a bit iffy here but zuora z-u-o-r-a they they really focus in that in that uh, report um on three areas where subscriptions are growing which is uh, probably the most obvious one which is software as a service i think most people now they do you know if you've got a subscription to microsoft's word and office etc you normally now paying monthly or annually rather than sort of buying the discs and installing them and going through that sort of headache process um media of course you've got subscriptions you know everybody knows about netflix and uh you've got prime as well with amazon and the other one less obvious and intuitive perhaps but that's manufacturing and we're seeing that probably some some of the the car makers um volvo in particular i think is at the forefront of this they're charging you can sign up for uh you know to rent a car it, it's it, i'm sort of slightly struggling with the difference between a subscription um from volvo and a lease um that you have with volvo but uh, the subscription seems to be that you can cancel at any time but i think you do pay a lot more money for it as a result of that um but anyway they're all interesting models but um, as already suggested i think they're quite difficult to transfer directly to the hotel um, space where there is an opportunity to do that is with what we've just mentioned the citizen m latest iteration which is the uh, my citizen m plus program where they charge um, 10 euros nine pounds i think it's 12 us dollars a month um, slightly cheaper if you buy an annual plan and for this you get a guaranteed 15 percent off and a bunch of other things such as uh, access to you know 
rooms and special offers and other bits and bobs like that so this i think and we've written about this previously as well in terms of how loyalty schemes will involve um evolve um you know into this type of thing um probably of the global major brands accor has you know is doing the most innovation here maybe because they've they've probably got the weakest of the the loyalty schemes out there among the biggest global majors um but they've been adding brands so things like paris society talassa um the wellness brand and john paul the concierge program stuff like that where you know that there's a more regular there's a chance you know if you're a say a leisure traveler in particular you're probably going one or two or maybe three times a, a year um you're more likely to go to restaurants clubs and a wellness a spa type thing more often or use a concierge program more often um so that gives you that that customer interaction piece and i think this is the the bit which is highlighted by zawara um they they talk about how um subscriptions are subscriptions are the opportunity to nurture direct digital relationships with customers once you hook them into your app and you can keep communicating with them you've kind of got them and can grab them and it you know it works so much better and i think if you can evolve that into something a bit more meaningful you have a chance of dislodging the you know the likes of booking or expedia who have very powerful apps which should work very well in terms of that booking piece um less so maybe for some of the other bits we're talking about here in terms of that direct uh, um, interaction um and that relationship piece and i think it's that digital relationship which is something which hoteliers are going to really have to keep an eye on to ensure they don't fall behind what the the best innovators are doing now we're going to look at what's going on in the european hotel market um, by way of deloitte's latest uh, sentiment survey so every year deloitte hold their their hotel conference and ahead of that they do a survey of investors across europe to take the temperature uh, asking a variety of questions uh, they usually have a uh, a top 10 of of, of most preferred cities in Europe for investing in um, for the, amongst hoteliers um, and uh, the interesting thing there was after several years on the top uh, Amsterdam is has been dislodged down to third place and uh, London has taken its place as the most attractive uh, investment location for, for hotels over the next year. Um, point of the survey is does track sentiment and uh, significantly um, the, the the results this year showed a lot more positivity um, a lot more of a general feeling that the the worst is over and uh, there there should be some uh, quite good years ahead for those in the business um, despite the bumpy last few months uh, people are now beginning to be able to put that in perspective and look ahead to a, a reasonably decent uh, runway over the next few years yeah i think that improving sentiment bodes pretty well for um future deal flow i mean we've covered that various times um recently um no doubt it'll come up again um in next week or the week after as well so we won't dive too much into that um one thing that struck me about that survey um 
was that um, digital transformation has gone right back down in terms of um, strategic priorities. So last year, 48% of respondents saw digital transformation as a key strategic priority, but uh, this year it was just 22%, so less than half the proportion um, of, of the year before. Um, so I, mean, I went along to the European Hospitality Industry Conference, not to be confused with the European Hospitality investment conference which um, <laughs> A&M put on the week following um, but uh, Deloitte's uh, variant of EHIC um, technology was the focus and Deloitte's AI strategy leader uh, spoke quite powerfully about um, just how important understanding what's going on in technology is I mean he uh, said and it um, that we're in the midst of a fourth industrial revolution and to quote him there is an explosion of startups and a reshaping of the technology system um, and he said pointing out that the revolution started back in 2012 with machine learning now um, this whole um, fourth industrial revolution that was really came to prominence with uh, the world economic forum the the davos gathering with klaus, uh, klaus schwab um at the helm of that and uh, schwab has been banging on about the fourth industrial revolution somewhat unconvincingly for me at the beginning because it was a sort of a hodgepodge of different stuff like cloud computing and um, um other bits and bobs you know um kind of um put together um in a, in a rather random fashion but i think with ai he he genuinely has something and if we want to talk about the, you know the, these different stages of industrial revolution you've got the first one which was the the steam industrial revolution you've got the second one which was um about developments in transport so trains developments in um uh, communications so the telegraph and electrification as well so that that's the sort of so technologically driven second industrial revolution um, then you get the third one which is all about digitization and this is really the sort of the age of the silicon chip and all this kind of stuff so the the pc if you like and and we referenced this actually a, uh, a while a um, couple of weeks ago with um, in in HA perspective as well and talking about another talk on AI but uh, this fourth one is you know I, I would agree that this is really about AI and an interesting um, piece on this is just how fast the pace of change looks to be so um, one of the things referenced at the Deloitte conference was the old silicon chip thing about Moore's law um, and this was that processor speeds double every 18 months to two years well the speed of change in ai um, is said to be doubling every three months this is based on a stanford university study with all sorts of um, of the great and the good like mckinsey and pwc involved as well um, so we can clearly see then just how um, rapid developments are likely to be um, from a hotelier perspective i mean i i think to be a direct per participant in that um, is going to be a tall order given the, the the scale of investment required and it's for the big beasts of the technology world and that's a real threat in terms of you know Google Apple and Microsoft dominating um, but the, the opportunity is with the potential to deliver you know radical innovation which we haven't had in the sector um, oh, certainly in terms of operations but I think ongoing we've seen quite a bit in terms 
terms of distribution, the, the selling of hotel rooms, and a little bit in terms of purchasing. But I think there's more to come with that. So I think genuine productivity increases across the board in hospitality are going to be unlocked through this technology. So it, it could well be a very exciting period ahead. One uh, challenge that remains an ongoing one for the hospitality sector at large is finding enough staff. Um, and this is just a UK thing. It's not just a Brexit thing and it's not just a Europe thing. It's something that seems to affected hospitality in many parts of the globe um, since the pandemic. And it, it's uh, because it's an ongoing challenge, then it does re require uh, those in the sector to, to seek out uh, innovative new ways of solving the problem and um, we've been having a look around at a few of those um, this week um, one of the initiatives that uh, a group of people took in the UK uh, about a year ago now was to um, realize that uh, the part of the problem certainly in the UK if not elsewhere in, in Europe was that uh, young people didn't think of hospitality as a career they just thought maybe that's this kind of job that's a waiting job that you do between proper jobs um, and so uh, there's been uh, an initiative called hospitality rising which set out to deliberately change the attitude of those younger people who could well um, find themselves a very interesting exciting career in in hospitality at large and uh, they've worked uh, at a kind of completely different level perhaps to where traditional um, hospitality businesses might work using social media TikTok and so on to to really build a much more positive image of the sector and that has resulted in a far larger number of young people applying for jobs in the sector so quite successful interesting that one is a totally private sector thing and it's been funded completely by um, hospitality businesses, including some big hotel companies, contributing uh, and getting involved. Um, and then the, the other thing we've, we've looked at uh, in a bit more detail this week is the um, initiative that Whitbread has taken, where they're looking to uh, support uh, interns who have special educational needs. Uh, they've teamed up with uh, a couple of colleges in the UK. They've been quietly testing this out. And they've gone to the trouble of actually in these colleges building a complete mock-up Premier Inn hotel, complete with three bedrooms and a reception, um, which allows the students to um, train and practice in an environment that absolutely feels like the real thing. Um, and so they've been testing this out for a little while. It's working. Uh, they've made a commitment to it, and they're now they've now publicly said they're going to see if they can't uh, build it up to get a hundred supported interns a year coming through the program and in fact they're looking for more colleges to team up with to help uh, deliver the numbers um, but there's no reason why you can't have a mix of employees in your workforce that uh, reflects that mix of uh, the, the general public at large and perhaps your 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 customer base too um, and one of the the kind of damning statistics that uh, Janet Tidmarsh from uh, from Whitbread uh, revealed was that um, only 5% of people with disabilities are in paid employment, which, if you just stand back and think about it for a moment, does represent a dreadful waste of human talent. Absolutely. And we try to avoid politics, a hotel analyst. I mean, our focus is the business and economics. Um, but it's an absolute scandal that we have so many people on out-of-work benefits in the UK, despite record levels of job vacancies. Um, you can't ignore this. There's 5.5 million people who the state are paying not to work. Um, yet we've got 
um, because of how the figures are collated in terms of unemployment we actually have record levels of unemployment um, a low levels of unemployment I should say rather to get that right the record low levels of unemployment and yet record levels of vacancies and this huge number of people um, who uh, are in out-of-work benefits um, now why this is we've got 2.8 million people on sickness benefits now many of these people are going to be able to work given the right support and it, it, it takes effort and it, it, it take, it's difficult to do but I think you know a combined um, private public partnership is what is necessary here um, to help get people who you know um, are, are struggling to get back into the workforce so it might be people who are um, disabled in some way um, it might be people who have to work from home um, you know and, and even within the hospitality we've got options in terms of call center staff and things like that for people who are you know have to work from home there's lots of options um, where these people can be helped back into some sort of dignified work which will help them and help the industry and it saddens me to see the industry so focused on calling for more cheap labour through um, more immigration. I think we should be focused on helping the millions of people in, in our country who, you know, who are currently struggling to get back into meaningful work. Um, within the hospitality sector, we have lots of entry-level jobs which are highly suitable with the right levels of support and training for these people. So I think that ought to be a big focus for it. Um, and we're going to go on to the five star thing straight mm -hmm. away Chris and say Whitbread is very much five stars what they're doing is precisely the sort of thing I'd like to see lots more hospitality employers doing um, I think it really can make a difference um, make a difference to our industry but make such a huge difference to those individuals who are offered jobs and wider society as well and um, you know uh, it would be great to see a bit more focus now um, by some of our lobbying groups on this sort of thing rather than calls for you know let's have more um, immigration I, I think it's these areas where you know we can really have a a win-win in the cliche and uh, despite saying we were not we're not very political i'm going to stick stick no stars uh, onto the uk government this week for their uh, um their above um substantially above inflation rise uh, in the minimum wage um it, i think the scale of it um, announced last week shocked everybody uh, and of course the hospitality sector has mo has complained that uh, it's going to have a uh, rather tricky impact on them it's going to drive up costs and uh, could well feed through into the inflation figures in in the next year i think you all of those are fair mm -hmm. points but i think in the medium to long term um i think it's a good thing that people at that end um of the employment uh, market are being paid more money we need to if we're going to level up it's by paying people at the bottom end of the income scale more money and we need to start doing that and again in the medium and longer term that is going to be good for them and good for our sector as you know we were just 
mentioning about the difficulties we have in terms of attracting people well not the least of it is we don't pay very well um, so if we start paying a bit better that's going to help and I think certainly increasing the minimum wage and you know um, good employers I'm going to give Whitbread yet more credit they've long paid above minimum wage levels and they've been certainly paying above living wage levels so I think that's a, a very positive thing and I think if you're going to to um, develop a great culture in your business you need to actually be thinking about developing your people um, you know the, the number of panel sessions I've listened to with CEO saying you know we are a people business and yet I look along the line of those those CEOs and just see how many you know they, who are employing people on minimum wage um, and I think that's wrong and I think we need to get beyond that and start realizing that investing in people is an investment in the business as well and that's that's paying them better um, and training them better and treating them better and making the hospitality a, a, a proper career and I think through that there can be real value creation in the business and we're going to see some of that as these this productivity piece we just mentioned in the previous item about AI comes into play I think we're going to see big changes over the coming years um, and it's going to be those people who are moaning about the cost of um, wages who are going to be the ones which are going to fall and as Andrew and I agree to disagree we'll say goodbye for now <laughs>